Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, and we'll continue in what will be, Lord willing, the last of a series on domestic economy, Uh, not just the family of mother, father, husband, wife, parents, children, but uh, as of old, the family would also often include masters and slaves. Well, we come to that section of Colossians 3, verse 22, down through chapter 4, verse 1. This is one of those cases where the chapter division was uh, not a happy one, but there it is. It gives us direction for where to turn in our Bibles. So Colossians 3, 22, through verse 1 of chapter 4. Slaves, in all things... Obey those who are your masters on earth, or literally, of the flesh. Not with eye service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. And then if you want to just flip back to Ephesians, I'll just read one verse here. uh, Verse 9 of Ephesians 6. And masters... Do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Well, we've already prayed and asked for God's help. Uh, Last week, we began our study of this section dealing with slaves and masters. And remember that uh, we saw that the Bible does deal with slavery as an existing institution. It was there, it was present in the Roman Empire. In fact, one uh, commentary I read estimated that up to one-third of the population of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves, those who were in that condition of physical, literal slavery being the possession, the property of their master. And... So the Bible accepted that as an institution, not that it approved it, but that was the case in which the Word of God was written. And so there were directions given to those who found themselves in the position of slave and those who found themselves in the position of master. And so we'll continue this morning with instructions to masters. And we'll see all the more that although the Bible does not speak and say abolish slavery... The Bible, in its directions with regard to slavery, both mitigated the harshness of slavery and gave directions which ultimately and inevitably led to the demise of that institution. And all the more we see this when we come to the direction given to the masters. So, what does the Bible say to masters? Now, let's just pause again. Maybe you're thinking, well, well, that's not our situation. I'm not a slave. I don't own a slave. So I can very safely sleep through this sermon. Hold on. The Bible, all scripture is inspired and, what's the next word? 
profitable. In other words, what we have to say this morning, what the scripture has to say is profitable for you and it's inspired. That is, it's breathed out by God. Don't turn off. Don't go to sleep. Don't say, well, this isn't for me uh, because everyone here is a worker. You say, I'm just a kid. You're a worker. You have chores, right, at home? Okay, well, we saw something for you last week. And everyone here is a boss. What? I'm just an underling. Well, uh, you know, maybe the youngest kid in the family, you're not a boss. But uh, somewhere down the pecking order, you've got somebody under you. All right? And so this is also for all of us this morning. And we're going to look at what the Bible says to Christian masters. That is, we're going to apply this to those who do have people working under them. That would be, well, we don't have masters of slaves, but we do have managers. We do have bosses. We do have um, employers in this congregation. And we do have parents. Uh, And I hope older brothers and sisters are not bossy, uh, but maybe you've got a little more pull than the younger brothers and sisters. What does the Bible say to you? What is God saying to you this morning from Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 6? Well, uh, again, as we read the verse, the chapter 4 verse 1, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Ephesians 6, 9, and masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. Well, what does it say? We're going to break it down basically into two headings. There's first of all, the duty of Christian masters, employers, bosses, managers, And then secondly, there's the motives and the manner or the attitude, you might say, of Christian management. Motives, I'm kind of toying in my mind, is it motives, is it attitude? Well, it's, it's all that's in your heart as you do that work. All right, so first of all, then the duty. What does it say? What is the command given to Christian managers, bosses, uh, uh, employers, And parents, even in a sense, as you do what you do. Well, it says, literally, here's the command. Give your your slaves, those under you, justice and fairness. Now, William Hendrickson, in his commentary, paraphrases this as saying, give them what is fair and square. Okay? Contemporary English. Do for those under you what's fair and square and square. Yeah, we're not uh, dealing as masters with slaves, but as you handle others, as you manage others, give directions to others, do with them what's right. And uh, let's look at the meaning of the words in a little bit more detail. The first word, justice, give them justice. Well, justice, we all think we understand what that means, but this Bible word, Justice uh, is from the same root as righteousness, dikaios, give them what's right, what's just. Um, But how do we define that? Well, everybody has their own idea of what's just for themselves. 
you know, you got to do what's right by me. But we have to define this word, what's right, according to God's law. God is the one who determines what is right. And in fact, the law of God, even in the Old Testament, had a lot to say about how slaves were to be treated with justice. Hendrickson, in his commentary, has an an appendix, I think it's four pages, of various scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, referring to slavery, masters, uh, workers, etc. And just for a couple examples, uh, for example, man-stealing was forbidden. It was forbidden to steal men and then, to, of course, to make them slaves uh, as a form of kidnapping. Well, you know, if you look at the history of slavery, how did someone uh, go from being a free person to a slave person unless they were born into slavery? They were stolen. That's what the slave trade did. It would go to Africa. And, uh, of course, there were traders who would either sell their own people from a tribe or capture the neighboring tribe and sell them. But it was man-stealing. That's forbidden in the Old Testament. A runaway slave, for example, this is interesting, was forbidden to be returned to his master. If a runaway slave came to you, it was against God's law for you to return him to his master. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Uh, With regard to some of the laws of our country in the past. Also, it deals with how hired men were to be treated fairly. Not So we're getting more now into employees. For example, Deuteronomy 24, 14 and 15 says, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land or your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he may not cry out against you to the Lord and it becomes sin in you. In other words, just to to summarize, giving them what is right and just means God's law tells you how to do that. God's law has a labor code, if you will. And it tells employers, it tells masters and bosses how to treat fairly, righteously, those who are working for them. So give them justice. We'll come to apply that in various ways in in just a few minutes. But again, remember, it's not just a nebulous term. Give your workers what's fair, what's right, according to to what God has said is right. And then the next word is, uh, in my version, give to your slaves justice and fairness. Uh, the word literally is equality. Um, and I know there, we have a few Greeks in our congregation. Isotetes. All right, so maybe you know the word isobar, those of you who read uh, weather maps, right? An isobar is a line of equal Pressure. The word iso means equal. All right? So isotetes is isoness. <laughs> uh, equality. Give them equality, equalness. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean, okay, masters, give your slaves the same thing you have. Because then the master would say, okay, I'm going to make you a master too. 
Uh, that, no, that, that doesn't work. That's not the way the system uh, was. But it means give them what is right and equal to their work and status and condition, not less. Don't be a regarder of faces. Don't play favorites with your slaves, with those under you. Give them all what is right to their situation, to their work. So again, Hendrickson got it right. Give them what's fair and square. A square deal. That's what you should give to those under you. Now, uh, so... Equality doesn't mean, you know, uh, communism, socialism, we're going to bulldoze all the distinctions because, you know, you're still master and slave, employer, employee. It just means give them what's right, equal to their work, equal to their situation, to the level of what they deserve. All right. So equal, fair. Now, interesting note, if we just add what we learned from reading Ephesians 6, verse 9, uh, the interesting note there is, and give up threatening. Let go of threatening. Abandon threatening, if you will, as a management technique. Now, have you ever worked for a boss that just yelled at the employees? Oh, what a... Dumb thing to do. Why, you idiot. (laughs) Well, thankfully, I never worked for a boss like that. I did have one when I was in high school who perhaps tended that way, but, mm, and I didn't work for him long. So, what a mercy. I generally had very considerate, very kind, very thoughtful, fair, reasonable bosses. But there are some whose management style is threatening, yelling, uh, berating, fault-finding, never any appreciation, never any uh, um, finding what's done right, but it's always finding what you did wrong. And boy, that's misery. You know, thankfully, we're not slaves. And so if you work for a boss like that, you have every liberty to say, I'm out of here (laughs) and go find another job situation. But Christians, brethren, who are managers, who are handling people under you and, you know, even parents, give up threatening. Just be fair and deal with your kids by what's right. These words tell us that's not pleasing to God to lead in such a way. Now, let's apply. What does that mean then? Okay, I'm going to give my workers what is righteous and what is fair, according to what God tells me. What does that mean in practical terms? Well, it boils down to three or four things. First of all, it means the work required. The work required is to be reasonable. Not like the Egyptian taskmasters that when Moses said, let my people go, they said, all right, that's what you want. Now you find your own straw and the same number of bricks. Same number of bricks, you get your own straw. So added work. That's that's not fair. That's not righteousness. Uh, That's not just. And Moses... Uh, was rightly complained to by the people. You just made our situation worse. Of course, God uh, had a different plan and it got worse before it got better. So the work required, not like Rehoboam's young counselors who told King Rehoboam when the people said, lighten our load, the, the burden that's upon us. And they said, no, this is what you should tell him. 
Tell the people, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. Want to be disciplined with scorpions? No thanks. That is harsh. That is not just with regard to the work required. That, um, an appropriate amount of work ought to be expected. Not like in the sweatshops of the old days where uh, you had people slaving away at a machine. They had a quota which was required them to work before sunup to after sundown. No, a righteous amount of work required. Reasonable and fair. So that's the first thing that would be righteous. And we also saw that the uh, hired men were to be given their wages. So the second thing has to do with the pay given. A day's work for a day's pay is a common phrase that we come to with regard to management and hiring and, and pay scale. Well, uh, pay, they should be given what's fair, commensurate with the work performed. Now, for a slave, what did he receive? Well, he received food, shelter, clothing, everything he needed, and medical care. Remember the centurion who came to Jesus? And in Luke 7, this man was his slave, a young slave, evidently. And he said, my slave is sick unto death. And you are able to heal him. You don't have to come to my house. I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. Uh, And I have slaves under me. And I say, go. And he goes and uh, jump. And he says, how high? Well, he didn't say it quite like that. But um, just say the word. Heal my slave. He is dear to me. In fact, in Matthew's account, the centurion calls the slave my child. My boy. A term of endearment. And so this slave was dear to the centurion and he cared for him so that when he was sick, he wanted him to be healed. And so proper remuneration includes all forms of remuneration, salary, uh, benefits, health care, whatever may be appropriate. Again, not saying all pay is all equal. This is not socialism, but it's saying a fair day's pay for the amount of work and the type of work that is done. Now, we recognize there are different levels of skill and different types of work uh, that are remunerated or paid, uh, repaid in appropriate level. Those who have had to study for years to gain the skill will have a higher pay scale. This is all taken for granted here, but the point is, just and fair, the right amount of pay for the work that is performed. Now, that says something to workers, if you will. If you would like to earn more, and you're in a job down here at the bottom of the pay scale heap, well, gain some skill. Go back to school. Go to night class. Do something. If you want to provide more for your family, don't just complain, I'm not getting paid enough. Maybe that's what is right for your level of work. 
And I'm not going to get into all of uh, Christian economics in uh, my sermon this morning, but when it says what's right and fair, that takes all of these matters into account. This is our Father's world. We ought to be curious. We ought to be learning. We ought to be seeking to improve, in a way, our skill level so that we might be able to uh, provide better for our families. When you say, I want more money, it doesn't mean vote for Bernie. Um, forgive me for the political uh, statement, but it means, all right, improve your skill, work, study more, improve your skill, work harder, and then the pay, a day's wage for a day's work, again, with commensurate with the level of the work, is just and fair. But the third thing that would come into just and fair with regard to a boss and a worker, a master and a slave, has to do with what was more common with masters and slaves, and that was with regard to the punishment meted out. Now, is there punishment given to workers today? Yeah. It's not a whip, at least not in our country. (laughs) It's not a whip, but there are consequences for failure to do work properly. And that's recognized. You don't do your work, there's a consequence to be paid. In chapter 3, verse 25, going back a verse, we read, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. And you remember that we said that applies both to the workers and in a way to the masters. We'll come to that. But it applies not only to what God will do in his justice to, in the last day, he will mete out uh, rewards and retribution, but it applies to what we receive even here in this life. He who does wrong, you're going to get the consequences of your wrong. And so the boss says, I want you to do this. And you say, oh, sure, no problem. And then you fall asleep on the job or you play around or you don't do it or you mess it up or you the bridge falls down. Well, there's going to be consequences to your bad engineering or your bad workmanship. Uh, that's what this is saying. And so the consequences, when we talk uh, again about justice and fairness, the consequences need to be just and fair. The slave, we read in Luke 12, verse 47, the slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will, he shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it or act in accord with his will, shall, uh, who did know it, rather, did, excuse me, let me get, read properly, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. There's fairness. All right, well, I didn't know, boss. I'm sorry. All right, well, there may be consequences, but it's not as severe as the one who said, yeah, I got it, and then he totally blows the job. Now, Deuteronomy 25, again, commensurate with the wrong. It says, It shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of stripes according to his guilt. Fairness in consequences of wrong done on the job. All right, so equitable, fair. Now, it's not going to be beating in our day. But it may be demotion. 
It may be docking of pay. It may be reduced hours. Uh, it may even be being fired from the job. There are consequences to wrong done, but managers make sure those consequences are fair and righteous. And one last thing about management, and that is, don't yell. We read that from Ephesians. Give up berating the employees, give up threatening. And it's interesting that the word that is used there is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for uh, rebuking or threatening. It's not just threatening, but scolding in a sense. Now, managers sometimes have to point out the wrong done by employees, but do it without just scolding and berating. All right? Now, it's interesting. You say, well, what does this have to do with the gospel? What this has to do is it's domestic economy. This is the way Christian managers ought to behave. It's in our Bibles. It's profitable for us. Now, one, the second major point, then, that's the command. That's what managers are to do. Now, the second part is the attitude or the motivation of Christian management. And why should Christians deal with their employees this way? What's in their hearts as they do it? Well, positively, what's in your heart is this. You, too, have a master in heaven. I will answer to my master for how I treat those who are under me. That conditions everything you do. That, of course, affects parents, children. It affects uh, masters, employees. I have a master in heaven. I will answer to him. And basically, this is an application of the golden rule to bosses. As you would that men do unto you, do ye also to them likewise. Why? Because you have the same master, you're going to answer to God as well. So treat them as you would want them to treat you, because you're going to answer to God for how you did it. How would you want God to treat you? Will you treat your employees fair and square? But then there's another thing, positively, in the attitude of the master here in chapter 4 and verse, uh, or going back into chapter 3. Obey those who are your masters, verse 22, according to the flesh. Remember, employers, that you're not the masters of their souls. You're just employing, in a sense, of course, maybe their mind, but you're employing their bodies. You're employing them here on earth. Uh, it's, it's temporary, and it's not forever. This relationship that you sustain to that person is only here and now. And you know, that's interesting because uh, sometimes there can be... Or not a, it's interesting that in the U.S. we don't have much of a class consciousness, but there is something of that. I'm the boss, you're the employee. I'm the manager, you're the managee uh, kind of attitude. Well, it's only for a while. Things may be very different when we come to glory. I read, and I think it was a, Spur, a sermon of Spurgeon, uh, but... 
whoever said it. I remember reading a story about a, a woman who had heard the pastor preach about in glory, in the new heavens and new earth, in those mansions that we have that uh, will all be together. And this woman came to the pastor and complained, well, well, you mean to say that my servant girl Sally is going to be maybe uh, next to me in another mansion? I, I, I just don't know if I can handle that, if I will really be uh, able to accept that my servant girl is, is on, in the same place as I am. And the pastor said uh, very pointedly, don't think you have to worry about that. I don't think you're going to the same place that your servant girl is going. Well, I think you get the point. Remember that you have a master in heaven. Remember that this relationship of employee-employer is only for a time. And in the last day, things will be very, very different. And there's a negative side. That's the positive side. Remember those facts. But then on the negative side, chapter 3 and verse 25, he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong he has done. Now that's sandwiched at the end of directions to the slaves and before the directions to the masters, and it's there in the middle on purpose. It applies to both groups. Slaves, do your work hard. Remember, you will answer for anything you do wrong. Masters! You will answer for anything you do wrong. Remember the last day, whether you're a worker or an employer. Remember the last day. Now, it's interesting that in Ephesians, that's turned positively. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will, he will receive from the Lord. So here it's what wrong you do, you receive in Ephesians. It was what good you do, you will receive. Both are true. The Lord takes note. And so, managers, there's another side. You are fair and square to your employees. The Lord takes note of that. Whatever good thing you have done, the Lord takes note. Well, now, our time is, is coming to an end. Not quite gone, I don't think. At least my time's not gone. Uh, we have a few words of application then. How do we wrap this all up? Well, Christian bosses, managers, employers, etc. What does it say? Be fair. Now, I'm not going to go into details and give you a pay scale and say, well, that means the minimum wage ought to be jacked up. And I'm not going to go into all that. And I don't think that would be appropriate for me to do. But it just means take the law of God, apply it to your workers, be fair and square. The work done, the pay given, the consequences meted out for misdeeds, and your management style. Uh, take it to heart. Don't manage by yelling but as my mother said, I believe I've mentioned it here, you catch a lot more flies with honey than with vinegar. So put a little sugar on your words, managers, and you may get a lot more flies. All right. Now, just a word as we conclude about slavery. You say, well, how does that lead to the demise of slavery? Isn't that obvious? 
Now, remember that this letter, and I perhaps haven't pointed this out before or way back in the introduction, was carried back to Colossae by a man, or at least part of the party was a man named Onesimus. Who's Onesimus? Well, he's an escaped slave. And we read, in, or I quoted, or I referred to Deuteronomy, which says that uh, an escaped slave you don't send back to his master. Well, uh, actually, Paul sent him back, but not, as you're thinking, to be crushed by his ex-master, Philemon. We read in Philemon, verses 12 through 16. Uh, Onesimus, by the way, is a name that means profitable. And so... He had become useless because he ran away. Uh, Paul says to Philemon in Philemon 12, I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that in your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything that your goodness should not be, as it were, by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this very reason parted from you for a while, that you should have him back forever. Now hear this. Verse 16 of Philemon. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, if we remember that our master is the same as the slave's master, and that this slave is a brother, not just a slave, how can you treat him harshly? How can you treat him as chattel property, as something that you just paid for, you own him? Do you not see that Paul's directions with regard to slavery undermined the institution and inevitably led to its demise. He's a brother. How can I treat a brother harshly? And that's why, sadly, some slave owners in the past did not want their slaves to go to church, did not want them to be evangelized because they didn't want to have to treat them as brothers. That's grievous. Because you see, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ changes everything and undermines the very foundations of that institution of slavery. As you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. I memorized years ago in the King James Version. I would, would you want to be treated as a slave? All right, let's trade places, okay? Treat your slave as you want to be treated, so you set him free and you become the slave. No thanks. Well, apply the golden rule. It demolishes slavery. Now, there's just one last word before we close up this morning. And that is this. One last word about the reward. You see, the reward, of course, it's speaking to the workers, the slaves, verse 24 of chapter 3, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. And, of course, the masters, uh, they will receive that good which is done back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 8. Well, think about the reward, okay? You're working. 
Let's apply this to work. Okay, so we're wrapping up verse uh, this last two sections for slaves and now for masters with a word just about work. What are you working for? You know, some people are working and working, maybe working overtime, maybe working two jobs. Why? So they can buy more stuff. They want a bigger house. They want a better house. Now, I'm not, in, I'm not against home improvements. I, I'm a do-it-yourselfer, fixer-upper type guy myself. I, I love that kind of work. I'm not against it. All right. So you want to paint your kitchen. You want to, you know, do your patio. You want to, uh, you know, redo your bathroom. No problem. But where is your priority? That's the question as we conclude this section of the letter. Are you saying, well, I want to, you know, I want to have the best thing here on earth. I want to have my best life. I want to have it all just so. And I'm going to work real hard so I can buy the best appliances and the best fixtures. And I want to have it so great. And you work real hard. And you have the Better Homes and Gardens award-winning house of the whole town. Well, all right, again, not a crime. But I'm asking you, how about your inheritance? How about it? You have all this stuff in place and you've worked so hard and it's, oh, it's just so beautiful. But you've neglected your soul? And you've neglected that treasure in heaven? And you have all this and what do you get at the end of the day? You get a box six by two and a hole in the ground. What will it profit a man? Let me speak to your hearts. You work so hard and you get all that money and you have all this stuff. At the end of the day, you have no inheritance. Do your work for the Lord. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. Serve him and what do you get? You get the reward of the inheritance. Life, life, eternal life. In my father's house, however you translate the word, or many, I like the word mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. You serve my father. You give your best to the master. What do you get? You get an inheritance that is lasting, which rust will not corrupt, with moths will not chew up, thieves are not going to haul it away. You get it forever. Now, is that foolish? That's sense. And so as you work, 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 it works good. It's in the Bible. Let him work with his hands that which is good. What are you working for? Become a workaholic. Neglect your soul. Neglect your service to the master. Neglect your spiritual uh, needs. Neglect the spiritual needs of your family. Neglect the worship of God. And, And what do you get? The best house on earth. You know what's going to happen to it? It's going to be burned with intense heat. Then it's going to be so hot that it even melts elements. What then? 
What's the good of that? But you serve Christ. Trust in him. Put away your sin. Looking not to your works, but looking to his righteousness, which is perfect. You have what? What you earned? No. You get an inheritance that you don't work for. He gives it to all those who are his. Turn from your sin. Come to the Savior. And again, I say what I said last week. Dear young people, don't waste your life for things that do not profit. Come to me, says Isaiah. Come, buy and eat without money, without price. Come to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you do give an inheritance which is imperishable, which is never taken away, undefiled, perfect. We thank you that we cannot earn it by our works, by our good works, certainly not by our sin, but it is freely given through the blood and the merits of Jesus. And having been purchased from this world and from sin, we want to serve you. And so we ask that you would take your word applied to our hearts, applied both to workers, bosses, but everybody, and help us to turn from this world, Jesus, to seek. We ask in his precious name. Amen.